What's up, Redemption? How you doing? My name is John Hendricks, and this is another episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to be sitting down with Chris Fashman, a.k.a. Crash Fash from the Boards and Discord. He is one of our elders in the game, and after your votes last week, we are going to be talking to him about playgroup building and kind of what his model is and some of the things that he's tried, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and just kind of pick his brain on that type of thing. Also, we're going to be going over a decent amount of recent happenings within the community, some projects that other people are working on. So without further ado, let's get it. Thanks for being here. All right, thank you for joining for another episode of The Threshing Floor. As always, my name is John Hendricks, and I'm here with Chris Fashman. How you doing, Chris? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. Glad to finally have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to finally be on. I do want to go ahead and throw this out there, though. I'm uh, kind of offended because obviously I know you know Brad, um, and, and obviously you've being an Alabama boy, you know Jay. But I, I feel like I'm like besides those two, I'm, I'm the guy here that you know the most. And it took you to what episode 13, 14 to get me on here, so I'm a little offended by that now. But <laughs> but now I'm glad to be here, man. <laughs> you also you also just kind of threw Jeremy to the side in that whole whole thing there. You haven't had Jeremy on yet, have you? I have not. I've been well, waiting. That's what for- I mean. I mean, people that have been on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, for Jeremy, I'm kind of waiting, and maybe I'll force him when we do a tournament, and he's in person, and I can set up. That'll be. Oh yeah, cool. yeah, for sure. I've mentioned a few times that all of the equipment that I bought was portable, so that when I go to tournaments, I could take it and just it wouldn't be it wouldn't be hard to record things there. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So um, I think everyone pretty much knows you and has some type of, uh, or probably has had some type of interaction with you on the boards. Obviously you're on the elder board. You're in leadership for the game. Do you want to, you want to kind of give, give any more information, go into a little bit more detail about, about your history with the game? It's, it's been a long, long history. If, uh, you want to go into the background of it it's it's kind of a story of whatever a lot of other people have had i found this game actually back in like 1995 1996 uh dead was a southern baptist preacher we went to the southern southern baptist convention every year lifeways a southern baptist bookstore um so they had their stuff there including the ab starter deck so i found it one year like i said 95 96 bought it um started collecting every once in a while when I went to Lifeway or something like that, had some money saved up. So I had a pretty good collection, um, played all the way through high school, uh, which was 2002 and quit mostly because the guys that I played with went out of town for college. So everybody, I taught three guys that I got together with monthly, uh, for a game night and we, uh, we played video games and redemption and stuff. So, um, they, they all left, so I didn't play from 2002 um, until 2009. I had proposed to my now wife, and we were going through my parents' house to find all the stuff we were going to move out of the house to um, our new home whenever we found that. We didn't have it yet, but we were going to go ahead and plan ahead. And <clears throat> going through my closet found a shoebox, literally just completely stuffed full of redemption cards. My wife was like, hey, my brother used to play that game. I was like, yeah, you know what? I loved this game when I played it. 
I ought to see if it's still around. It was 2009. Sure enough, it was still around. I um, basically joined the boards like the next day. Um, I looked it up. I joined in Feb- February 2nd, 2009, and basically started hosting tournaments in 2010. And then uh, that led to me going to my first nationals in Minnesota in 2011, hosting the 2012 uh, national tournament. Uh, just three, basically just three and a half years after getting back in. And then kind of being an elder is kind of the same thing. Um, I just, I was persistent in uh, offering my help and asking, you know, hey, you know, telling Gabe, telling Rob, hey, you ever need anything, let me know. I'm willing to do anything. Obviously with Rob, that turned into hosting three national tournaments so far. Um. And then also uh, with Gabe, it started out, um, he would bring me in at the very back end of um, kind of their their set creation. And basically what that looked like was, hey, can you be our QA guy as far as, can you read these cards? Can you make sure this is the document? These are the pictures. Can you make sure the stats are correct? Can you make sure the, the verse is correct? The reference is correct? Does the ability make sense? Um, so that's basically where I started that. And I did that for about two or three sets. Um, and then eventually kind of at the end of, uh, prophecies of Christ, I believe it was, he, uh, brought me in, said, I don't really know why you haven't been in yet. Uh, so brought me in for that. And then basically kind of made me an official guy for the LOC set and, obviously now GOC and, and kind of beyond. So it's kind of my story where all that came from. So I remember hearing that story the first time that we met um, about you finding the cards, like a shoebox full of them. Mm-hmm. And it seems like everybody's got that shoebox story. Like Brad mentioning that he, he used to play or everybody that like, like I know that I've talked to there, there's usually some kind of like brief interaction with the game. And then you go on a hiatus and then you come back and realize that the game has gotten better and improved. What was it like when you came back to the game? Because when you played the first time, I'm guessing not every card, that was still when every card didn't have an ability. And the strategy has evolved, I'm sure, at that point. Well, I found out real quick something else that apparently all, all these guys have in common. Um, I had no idea how to play the game. Uh we, we played it wrong. We The deck building rules were just kind of something that we kind of did. I mean, we literally played with like 80, 100 card decks, you know, and we, we even had a house rule where you never had to discard down. Like if you, so we had constant turns where we were like, we, we would, we would play multiplayer all together. We'd have four guys, we'd have people, um, like if you chose to draw your three and then not attack, you could just keep all your cards in your hand. Like we were just, you know, we were just goofing around, um, just having a good time. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, yeah, we didn't play right or anything like that. So when I first came back, I, I, well, like I said, I figured out that there was a message board. There was an online community that I had no idea existed before then. They had tournaments and that I had no idea existed before then. Um, so it went from just kind of this casual fun, hey, I like Bible characters thing to an actual game and a and a passion for me at that point. So, yeah, I guess that is an underlying thing. No one knew how to play the game the first time they played. Yeah. So when they come back, they figure it out. Um, 
and I would I would like to say that normally normally the people that are involved with redemption, my wife doesn't really care for that like not that she cares or doesn't care. Like she's indifferent towards everything. Like when I go to um not Jay's anymore, but Jeremy's for a tournament, it's you know, take it or leave it. She doesn't care either way. She's just like, don't spend a ton of money. But when it comes to your tournaments, because she gets to travel and she gets to go to the mountains and do things, she looks forward to the fact that I guess I've come to two regionals now and a state. And I guess moving forward, I'm probably going to be there at state and, and regionals moving forward because mm-hmm. she enjoys the travel. So luckily I got a good one that lets me travel. So I guess I'm thankful that you, you found the game, came back and are hosting tournaments because that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 when I tell my wife I have a large check that's going to rob or something like that, she just kind of looks at me and scoffs at me, and I'm like, "Hey, just remember the story. Uh, you know, you you told me your brother in, enjoyed this game, so I looked it back up. So it's your fault. I still play. Um, <laughs> and then I get smacked across the face, but then we just kind of continue back what we're doing. But yeah, same thing. Just as long as I don't involve her, she's totally fine as long as she has warning as to what's happening and when people are coming and if are people coming to the house is basically the question she wants answered so <laughs> i guess that, that's fair um so we'll we'll kind of transition off and um obviously you guys you know that we we kind of opened up a vote for what you wanted us to have a conversation with chris about and it was overwhelming playgroup building so that's what we're going to talk about. But before we get into that, I'd like to roll over and do some recent news. I was telling Chris before we started recording that this section used to be all about like spoilers that came out in the week because there just wasn't a lot of information or a lot of quote unquote recent news. Fast forward to now and recent news is growing exponentially. So currently we are in the Grand Prix round two. So round two pairings are live. And as of this recording, I'm looking at a bye week, so thankfully I can't lose this week. Our type one champion from last year beat me 5-1 in the opening round, so I probably need a, need a break to go back to the drawing board on a few things. Um, but round two pairings are up, and also the January online tournament just so happens we have the host of that. You want to, you want to talk about that, Chris? No, I mean, just basically what most people know. Uh, this month is January, uh, or yeah, 22nd. We always do it on a Saturday just because that's when I'm available and most people are available. Um, do it via Zoom. You have to have um, physical cards to play to make it an official tournament. But uh, Rob's been super awesome with allowing us to have Online tournaments, we just have some, you know, certain stipulations. We have to do deck checks. Everything has to be rotation. You have to have physical cards, just like you're at a regular tournament uh, because he's allowing us to do the prizes. So super cool that Rob um, allowed us to do it. He let us start it back when um, COVID was going on since nobody could technically get out of the house. A lot of our guys and had states that were literally shut down completely. Um, so tournaments were not a possibility. So it allowed Rob to kind of keep some influx of tournaments going and things like that. So um, and then he allowed us to continue them after a lot of the regulations kind of cleared up and and moved on. So it's been super cool that he's allowed us to do that. And I'm, I, I feel greatly uh, privileged to be able to uh, to bring that to you guys every month. Do you think that 
that is going to continue to be a thing offered for the foreseeable future? <laughs> well, I'll put it this way. Um, it, we, so we do three month, um, we do quarter three month, um, blocks is I guess what I call it, where we have three tournaments and then I send the tournament results in to Rob. He sends me the promos and then I send all the promos and prizes out from there to kind of help save shipping. You guys have been awesome allowing me to do that. Um, and literally every three months I say, Hey, I, I appreciate you letting us do this. You know, I, as long as you're okay with it, I'm just going to continue to do this. And he never has said a single thing. So I'm assuming we're just gonna literally keep going until one day he wakes up and goes, yeah, I think I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so as of right now, we're, we've got the green light and we're just going to go. So we're going to ride it till the wheels fall off. Huh? Exactly. Yep. Nice. Nice. Um, uh, last week we actually released two episodes of the podcast. One of those was about um, some of the hurdles that a new player comes in and is faced with. And then some of the strides that the community is making towards fixing that and what we can continue to do. And we talked about the new um, revamped subreddit that Bobby mm-hmm. is heading up. And that kind of spurred a couple of other things that have come out. And one of those is that Jared, who goes by him on the boards and Discord, I believe it's him on both, but he put out some primer videos for a new player to come in and see what resources are available that are made by the community to kind of ease the transition for a new player to get involved with the game. I actually watched these and I thought they were pretty cool. I thought it was really neat. Not only was he telling you about them, but then in the next video, you can see him use some of them and show you how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about those, Chris? Yeah, I uh, I watched them today before uh, you mentioned them to me, and I was like, I definitely want to watch them before we talk about it. So I thought they were very well put together. It has a lot of very solid information. They're not long either. They're only like 10 to 15 minutes long. Um, so it's super easy just to sit down, pop one, you know, and then every day or something like that um, and get some high-quality information. So, um, and, and – I mean, like I said, he hit a ton of topics and it was very well put together and thought out. So, um, you know, excellent effort, excellent videos. I um, um, I mean, we're going to talk about it some more, but I, I'm excited about all this stuff coming out. I was I was the first conversation Tyler had when he was talking about the QR code and we were talking about how that's going to change redemption. And little did we know that um, this community was going to get up and stand up and we were going to have podcasts and, and uh, YouTube channels and resources and stuff. So this is, I, I'm excited about what we've uh, the future we've got coming. So. Yeah. Um, Jared put out a comment that said the dawn of the redemption content renaissance is upon us. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, that was pretty cool because it does seem like there's, there's a ton of when, when we came into the game, some of the most relevant videos that we saw were, um, it actually kind of came back up on Discord this past week was the 2016 National Tournament that I think Three Lines Gaming headed up doing the coverage for. So you can find videos and things. And that was really cool. And then there was this random video of Jay yelling at people, telling them about redemption strategy. <laughs> and so all of those when we came in and then Sign of the Star videos. But when we came in, those were already years old. Mm-hmm. Um two or three years old at least. And it wasn't like relevant content. And now it's like relevant content and it's up to date. And it just seems to keep snowballing and growing. 
which is pretty cool. And other people are putting in efforts to bring some of that content to the community. And I think it's really cool that the community is kind of supporting itself. You said, see the community stand up. Well, they're standing up, but it's like doing it for your fellow players and stuff. And I think that's really cool. And it shows a lot about what the community and player base is all about. Um, speaking of that, we also had Renee, who is Reth on the boards and Discord, who is our international player from Germany, who is pretty active um, and engaged with the game through the social media aspect of Discord and whatnot because he doesn't have players where he's at. But he's actually been working on a new player guide, and I've got it pulled up here on my phone. And I think it's really cool. It shows – so it's got objective rescue five lost souls because generally you're going to be introducing them to type one before they get their feet wet into any other category. It's got the outline of the turn, the objective of the game. It's got a quick reference wheel that shows you all the phases, and it's got all the steps of the phases. And then you go down to player's card arrangement, and you've got some of the new cards, new artwork, which really pops. And then you've got the layout of the field, the anatomy of a card, the different card types, the brigades. And it just, if you're going to show someone a quick reference guide, this pretty much has everything that they would need to know about the card specifically. And then when they start asking questions, it's not generalized questions. It's, you know, basic questions. It'll be more advanced because if you're looking at this, it kind of has a lot of that immediate question, um, the immediate questions answered for a new player. And I really like it. Yeah, it's, it's super solid. Um, and, and that's what we were saying. We were talking about it earlier. Um, it's just, it's the colors are vibrant. The um, it's got everything in here. I feel like you, you could possibly need to at least introduce um, somebody to, to kind of what we're doing here. Obviously, you know, like you said, you're going to want people, this is kind of one of those things. It's like, okay, you get a starter deck and then this is what you look at. Um, to kind of get the idea of how your first game is going to go, how you how you lay out your territory and all this, um, I, I kind of like the the uh, the thought process of the laying the field of play out too. Um, I know some of the old school starter decks. I don't know how many um, of the new people have seen stuff like that. Like I think the GH starter decks had uh, card layout, a field layout, and there's always been about four or five different ways to do it. So kind of laying it out in a way that like this shows a lot of people uh, potentially how your field looks. And, and even if it's changed up a little bit, so be it, but kind of knowing where things are supposed to go makes a life a lot easier than just people just throwing stuff down on a table and, Oh yeah, this is what this is. So um, yeah, I like it a lot. It, it looks great. It, this is basically um, a very updated and snazzier graphic for some stuff that we had before. Um, and it just, the way that, like I said, it laid out, it just makes perfect sense and it looks real good. So I, I love it. Yeah. I think um, kind of the idea with a card arrangement, when we did our, let's see, let's go back in time here to episode, I think it was three, maybe, which was, me and Brad discussing starter decks and uh, what we would like to see in new new decks. One of the things that I regret that I didn't mention on that was my kid actually knows how to play Pokemon now. And the way that he learned how to play Pokemon was he got the, um, they call it Battle Academy. I don't know if you guys out there have heard of that, but they sell it at Target. They sell it at other retailers. And it's a board game that includes starter decks. And 
part of that board game, it takes away a lot of the guesswork because it shows you exactly on the board. So you set out the board instead of a play mat to start with, and it shows you exactly where the cards go. Redemption doesn't have something like that, but having a reference to where you can see how to line cards up, because if you don't know, then you really just don't know. And it's not one of those things that comes up a lot. Like people don't ask, where do I put my site? Mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of assumed that because a soul can go in it, it goes into the land of bondage. But technically, it's not in the land of bondage unless it's occupied. Right. So if you're trying to target it, you might not realize that it's technically in a certain location, but laying it out and showing people that on a quick reference guide is fantastic as a resource for a new player to jump in and at least get some of those basic questions answered, like I mentioned. So I think it's a fantastic resource, and I'm glad that uh, Renee was able to do this because I think it's a fantastic improvement. Yeah, it's it's easily better than than anything else we have available to give to people or show people right now. So definitely a, a win for us. Yeah, and if Rob Anderson, if you ever listen to this, maybe you get the idea to, since you already build board games, maybe you build a board game version of a starter deck that has the layout included. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> But um, also, and again, this is just this list of recent news growing, and it's fantastic. Thoughts from Portland is a new podcast project. So now Redemption currently has not one, but two podcasts. And the first episode came out today when we're recording this. Um, So it's definitely available when you guys hear this episode on, you know, after a couple days of editing. But... I was able to listen to the episode yesterday, actually, and I thought it was fantastic. And I think when you start realizing that, I think John told us when he was on the podcast that he started playing in 1998, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And then I think Jay said he started playing in 2005, 2007, somewhere Mm -hmm. in that range. You start adding up the years of experience. Mm -hmm. And these guys have like, what is that, like 25 years Oh yeah, 30 years of experience between them in the competitive world of redemption. Mm-hmm. So when they start telling you stories and things and strategies and whatnot, they can tell you a lot of things that I can't necessarily tell you because I've only been involved in the game in a couple of for a couple of years. So I think they're they're bringing something that hasn't necessarily been available. And I know that John wanted to have it available when he did the podcast Top Cut Savvy with Josiah Beers, but that kind of kind of fizzled because of COVID and scheduling and issues and just how busy John got and, and Josiah was as mm-hmm. well. And now you get two people that are pretty, pretty active in the game still, as far as like they, they play competitively, they're active on the boards and discord. John's a leader uh, on the elder board. Jay, he's, he's Jay. but I think they work really well together. And the first podcast was pretty awesome explaining the name and kind of going over the errata to endless treasures, which I didn't even put that on the news here, but starting February 1st, endless treasures is getting errata to remove the draw two. And I'm not going to go into too many other details because you can go and listen to the first episode of thoughts from Portland and have you have you had a chance to check that out, Chris? Yeah, I checked it out this morning. I saw it and found it. Uh, I think you actually mentioned it to me, so I, I did check that out. Um, and like you said, I mean that's what that's what it is, man. It's just a, a wealth of experience. Um, 
they they've been they've been around for so long they've they've gone up the from these um random kids that you know played this game to to high quality top-notch players you know so they you know and they're going to have a wealth of knowledge that they can just share with people and and bring to people and allow you to uh, kind of get an inside view of kind of how a top player uh, views this game i i'm one of those that <clears throat> I love playing and I, um, you know, just love sitting down playing the cards. I feel like I can play most decks pretty well, but at the same time, I'm not, I feel like I'm not a great deck builder. I don't think outside the box like these guys do or like Jaden and Tyler do. Um, you know, it's kind of the, I've got decks that can do really, really well against, you know, mid tier, low level players. But then when it comes to playing those guys, they whoop me a lot of times. So, um, it, it's always good to to pick their brain and, and to find out information from the their perspective because that that's what's really if you want to be competitive and you want to be really good in this game and you want to you know try to win a championship or something that those are the type of people you need to listen to and pick their brain for sure. Yeah, and they did mention when they shared it with the community that their goal for their podcast is to target even though there's something for everyone and obviously you can learn from them, anybody at any stage to listen to. They are targeting intermediate players, players that know the basic, understand how the game operates, and then guiding them to taking the next step to be competitive top-notch players that improve the overall quality of the field at a Nationals tournament so that competition is better across the board, not just at the high end and then gets watered down as you go down. They want to bring everybody up to a highly competitive level. And I think that's fantastic. Matter of fact, if you listen, Chris, then maybe they'll help you take that next step and then you won't get crushed by them. <laughs> well, that also requires me to uh, to play. It's it's very quickly becoming evident that I tend to be more of a, uh, a tournament host and a, uh, a judge than a player. So, I, I mean, I'm obviously going to give it a listen and, um, you know, give my kids uh, that I play with uh, a run for their money or something like that. I got to, you know, I got to keep my reputation about being the best player and, um, you know, in Knoxville at least. So I can't let, I can't let one of my kids come up and start beating me all the time. So I, I'm definitely going to listen enough to make sure I, I don't lose that edge. But <laughs> my, my goal and aspiration of winning a nationals is not very high up there with, uh, with other obligations and things I'm enjoying doing in the game right now, honestly. Nice. Nice. Maybe, maybe as I listen, they'll actually teach me how to be able to win games in Alabama because as it stands, I'm not very good in Alabama, guys, but when I travel up to Tennessee, I'm fantastic. I've won a regionals and a state in the last uh, year, calendar year, or a little over, I guess, because we had that one regionals that was after nationals that I won. Um, So I'm actually better in Tennessee than I am in Alabama. So maybe this will teach me how to finally beat Jeremy consistently. I think I've got one win over him, and that happened at the Tennessee State Tournament this year. So... Um, I guess the only spoiler that I could recall being spoiled this week, other than the images and artwork for the three remaining legacy rares was shared on the all new Reddit. Make sure you guys check that out. It's set up to be user friendly and target newer players and guide them on a path to learning more about the game and to promote some activity and traffic there. Gabe shared a spoiler it's a hero and good enhancement. So it's dual icon 
Um, but both of them are good. So good enhancement and hero. And it's on the hero side, you've got the white brigade and gold. And then you've got gold on just gold on the enhancement. And the identifiers is generic. It has an X identifier. X is the number of your meek lost souls, which we'll end up mentioning later. And then unity for heroes to be all New Testament. The good enhancement says, if a rescuing hero is opposed, reserve all of your heroes except one. If you, res- if you reserve at least nine, rescue a lost soul. So this requires you to have 10 heroes out, but then you play this enhancement if you have initiative or, you know, if you're using like awesome things, play this down and get a free rescue. Obviously, a rescue that happens off of a battle then becomes you can't get an additional soul that battle according to the rules. So it's uh, just another way to get a lost soul rescued without having to fully finish out the battle if they don't have a way to negate it or whatnot. Um, and then on the hero side, it's restrict evil dominance, which is fantastic. Restrict evil dominance and negate lost souls. So it's kind of like, it seems like with number of your meat lost souls, this is something that is set up to boost you if you're playing meat lost souls and kind of level that out when he comes into battle. And then the X identifier comes in with, you may draw X limit three, which is number of your meat lost souls. So if you're playing meek lost souls and you've lost some of the advantage from not having those instant abilities that generate card advantage when you come into battle here, based on number of your meat lost souls, if you're playing all of them meek lost souls, there's a good chance you're going to be able to have this identifier at least at two, possibly three maxed of drawing cards. So there's a chance that you'll you'll be able to have two or three lost souls out to generate two or three cards each time you go into battle with him in addition to re- restricting evil dominance and negating lost souls. Did you play test with this card at all, Chris? Um, <clears throat> honestly, I did not. I, um, I did a lot of testing with the New Testament gold because um, I, I just I love what it does and love what it's going to be able to do and excited for you guys to see that when they finally come out. Um, just, just a ton of fun. Um, and the reason I did not was because he has always had that requirement to have meek lost souls. Um, and the, the defenses I was playing or in particular testing, um, well, basically we had two defenses that, uh, paired with the new Testament gold offense really well and was borderline broken more than once. So we, We've had to tone both of them back, the offense and the two defenses back a, a few times, and none of them really benefited from Meek Souls except for this guy. So honestly, I just I never threw him in any of my decks. Uh, but I will say that he has been used against me. Uh, there was a couple of different games where um, you guys can thank Jaden for this or uh, yell at Jaden for this either way. Um, he was using this guy with one of the defenses that did benefit from Meek Souls. And let's just say this guy didn't have a limit until Jaden got a hold of it. So, um, yeah, Jaden Jaden drew a lot often with this guy um, in in the two or three games that we played, and it was um, kind of ridiculous. It was quite good. So, yeah, of course, leave it to Jaden to find a way to manipulate a card and make you guys edit it. 
Well, at the same time, like, again, that's why we have people like Jaden come and, and play test with us some so that we, we can, we, we'd obviously rather find this stuff because this is something we would, we would rather find out that it's a little bit busted if you build the right way. So we'd rather put a limit on it and release it balanced than um, just having it completely broken and then having to, um, you know, errata and ban like we just, uh, like you talked about, Endless Treasure. That's not something we we take lightly or really want to do very often. So when we have that conversation, it's, it's very um, deliberate and there's no kind of joking around or being goofy. It's It's literally, is this what's best for the game? So it's good to find this stuff before we release it so that, you can just kind of leave it alone once it's once it's out in the open. So um, it's good that we found it, but obviously it, it had uh, a lot more power. Like I said, we we've we've tweaked the um, <clears throat> the gold stuff too. I, I mean, it's um, the, there was there was many tears sh- shed over some of the cards that we had just because they did not need to go out in the state that we had them um, because they were just they were too much, but it's still fun. It's still good. So we're, this, this set's going to be a lot of fun. You guys need to be excited for it. I know you are. So it's uh you'll, you'll enjoy it when it gets there. Yeah. I'm the conductor of the hype train. <laughs> um, I do have, I do have a question. Can you give us anything? Um, I didn't put it on here because it just was announced right before we decided to start the recording. Basically Gabe mentioned that this coming week, there's a big, community decision going to be announced yeah and when he says community decision i guess maybe something to vote on that's what i took from that is there anything that you can can you shed any light on what's forthcoming you you, you'll be voting on it yes um it's not okay how will i put this you will be excited to vote on it you will not be it's kind of one of those things i'll just leave it pretty ambiguous it's uh, it's something you know of, but you don't know that you're going to be able to vote for it. How about that? So it's, it's not something brand new, uh, but the voting will obviously be something you've not done before for this. So it'll be it. You, it, it it's fun. You'll, you'll enjoy it. Okay, so we're voting between Iowa City Nationals and another Knoxville Nationals. Oh, is that what you think is going to happen? That's what my official guess is what it is. Oh, OK. Okay. So I don't know. We'll find out. Yes, we will certainly find out. Okay. Um, and then with that, that concludes our tremendous amount of recent news from the last week, which is fantastic that we have that much because it means the community is active and there's potential for growth and engagement with the player base. Um, but with that, we'll roll over and we'll get to the main topic, which you guys voted on again is playgroup building. And we'll, we'll kind of, pick Chris's brain here about things that he's tried maybe that didn't work to where he rounded that out into what has he's actually found that does work. So I'll just open up the floor for you to kind of share some of your experience of when you got back into the game, starting from scratch and building up your play group, things Mm -hmm. that maybe didn't work. So it's been interesting. I've, I've dealt with a lot of different, um, levels of play groups and I and I and again I'm I don't feel like I'm the expert or the um the only one that you need to ask obviously you know pick bunch of people's brains to find out information and get information that works for you um in your group but 
I've done a lot of different things. So back before my first break in 2002, when I told you I was playing with those three other guys, um, I was the only person that owned cards. So like, I guess I would, I mean, I would count that as a play group. If I knew there was tournaments going on, we would have had tournaments and, you know, like I said, maybe not every month, but every other month or something like that. And, and I just allowed them to use my cards. Like a lot of times I'd go in with four built decks. Sometimes they would build their own decks. Um, you know, so I've done that. I've, I've had a very small play group and had a large collection. So I've just allowed people to use my cards. Um, and then when I first got back in and got excited about the game, I actually had some very good buddies of mine who, um, who were adults who had jobs, who none of us were, um, married when we started, I was the first one to get married. And then the other guys were several years behind. So we played, I don't know, three, four, five years with just a bunch of adult guys. So they all had money. So they bought a ton of stuff. Um, and sometimes I, I know when people look at it, they assume that that's the best way to go. You want a bunch of, um, adults and people who have money and jobs and things like that so that you can just spend a lot of money. Um, you got to be careful with that though. I will say we had a, like I said, we had a lot of fun, but we did, we, for about three months, we literally did a booster draft every weekend. Um, and as much fun as that was, and as, as cool as that was to increase our collections, we were like, we spent a lot of money, you know, and so you've got to be very careful uh, with that about how much money you're spending and all of that. So because um, that's not sustainable. So needless to say, we, we didn't play uh, Booster Draft for a while after that because none of us had any money left over. Um, and then and because your wife said not to. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and and then when those guys, you know, got older and, and got married and, and then got, you know, even more full time jobs and things like that. Um, they've basically, unfortunately just kind of dropped off and, you know, I'm still in contact with them, but we, they don't play anymore. Um, so I kind of just kind of hung out a little bit, but then transitioned to the church group, uh, in particular youth and, uh, went from having these guys who spent a lot of money to kids who literally had no, you know, no money to their name. Um, <clears throat> so that was a tough transition. And I would venture to say that's where a lot of our people are, especially if they're youth group leaders or Royal Ranger leaders or something like that. They have a bunch of kids that don't have a lot of money. Um, so as far as what you can do there, um, my first suggestion is do what you know your kids kind of enjoy. Um, so when I first started... I had some kids that wanted to learn the game. They kind of enjoyed playing. They weren't um, fully committed to it. Like I would, I would every Wednesday night, I would be there, have my cards ready to play. Most of the time they showed up, but every now and then they just wouldn't be there. They just weren't there. Um, again, they didn't have money, so it's not like they're buying packs or anything from me. Um, so it was a, I wasn't a youth group leader at that point. But if you're a youth group leader or somebody who's trying to teach kids the Bible, two things I did do, uh, they didn't last very long because the kids weren't committed to them. Um, but I would offer them, um, I don't know, like seven cards, something like that. Uh, one for each day is kind of what I was hoping to do. 
and um, I would offer them. I started back with the um, limited, unlimited stuff. I realized that doesn't work very well anymore right now with the, if you're trying to do rotation stuff. Um, but I started back in the limited, unlimited set, and I would basically say, hey, here's a, a group of verses or a chapter, a book and a, a chapter, and here's one question you need to answer about a redemption card. Um, so I tried that for a while and that turned out to be, oh shoot, I forgot to do that here. Let me pull out my Bible and do it right now. And that was kind of not what I wanted. Like I said, I wanted them to kind of use that as a daily Bible devotion type thing, um, earn cards. And then along the same vein, I tried to make people memorize verses and give them a card or something like that. Um, those, neither one of those really took off with my group. So those were abandoned pretty quick. Beyond that, um, I, like I said, I was trying to figure out ways to expand the group, uh, you know, get people committed, because obviously those two things didn't work. The people that I was teaching at that point uh, kind of fizzled out. Uh, so I had a second play group built pretty quick and then fizzled out pretty quick. So it's kind of discouraging. Um, but obviously, like I said, I, I enjoyed the game. I was still passionate about the game. Um, I had a couple of the guys that were still playing with me. Um, so we would travel to a few tournaments once we found all that stuff. And honestly, going, uh, to a tournament in Kentucky with Mark Underwood, uh, at the time, Brian Jones was there. He was a, he was a young and though, um, at the time, but Mark was the playgroup leader in teaching redemption at the, uh, the Christian school. Uh, that he worked at in Kentucky. And so I went up there for a regional and a state and Mark had a ton of players. I mean, he had like two dozen players at his local tournaments and he would bring sometimes a dozen or at least half a dozen down to, you know, some of the big Tennessee tournaments. So I started picking his brain and tried to figure out uh, kind of what he was doing, what he you know, what he was doing to get his group bigger, what he was doing to keep his kids involved. Um, obviously, he had a little bit uh, of an advantage with uh, the kids being involved, at least during the school year, because they actually lived on campus there. So it's not like they were uh, had something better to do or went to go play with friends or, you know, something like that. They were literally always there. Uh, but obviously, there were people that stayed committed throughout the summer and traveled to tournaments and stuff. So he was doing something right. And basically what he was doing was, um, especially with young kids, he was generating excitement by uh, what he called level decks. And so I basically took what he was doing and started using it with uh, newer kids that I had. And um, especially young kids, it works remarkably well. Um, and, and basically what a level deck was, uh, Mark had three and then I actually expanded it out just, uh, by one more deck because there was another very simple one that you could throw in there, but he basically had three level decks. And the first one was the original state of the game, uh, kind of the introduction to redemption, which was basically just a bunch of, um, unlimited, 
limited, maybe some profit cards. It was basically just big numbered dudes with big numbered enhancements with absolutely no abilities. So it was garbage sealed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was <clears throat> it was one of those okay, yeah, here's here's a good guy. Here's the the heroes and the enhancements and the evil characters enhancements. There were no special abilities, so the reality was um, once you bought cards or acquired cards or did whatever you needed to do to do it, um, you got a pretty easy win pretty quick. And that, and that kind of generated some of the excitement of, oh, well, this game is fun. And I just beat, you know, Mr. Underwood or whatever at the time. So it's, you know, then your kids get to beat, you know, you. And that's exciting for them to, you know, to win their first couple of games or something like that. And then after that, obviously, it was, okay, well, that was that was easy. I'm glad you did that. Uh, now we're going to ramp it up a little bit. And then he transitioned to kind of the same vein, but slightly different. Uh, Big-bodied dudes with just negates. You know, again, that made it obviously a lot more difficult in the sense that you were, um, you know, some of your cards would be negated and discarded and things like that. It wasn't quite as easy. Um, but it was still, you know, if you had the right strategies, if you could, um, band a lot or something like that, then you could still get past it. Obviously at this time, there's a lot of, of course, when I was playing, there was a lot of kind of negated stuff. Like judges were great because you had, um, Samuel's edict and Ehud's dagger and things like that, that made that really simple. Um, and then his third deck was the okay here's the big deal real deal type of thing but still not overpowered strong as far as like uh, a national winning deck um and it was battle by the number uh characters all on offense were battle by the numbers and then had a few of them on defense and then threw in different characters who were um at that point immune now the word is protected from characters so it had the old school, what, Moses, Ira, Shamgar, uh, Captain of the Host, Strong Angel on offense. And then defense was the Gray, Job's wife, the Sapphira, um, and then characters like the Warriors or the GH uh, Red Dragon, Emperor Claudius from Apostles, Emperor Nero from Apostles, um, Beast of the Earth, uh, from warriors because it was protected from female characters, just things like that. And then it had a couple of, um, obviously the offense was big numbers, mostly of the rainbow enhancements that came in the starter decks or whatnot. And then the evil characters had just kind of some nifty little, um, nothing fancy. It, I think the best quote unquote enhancement in that deck was something like lurking that allowed you to bring another character into battle, but it had, just simple stuff like torment to to bring one back or uh, lying unto God, which was a GH starter deck card that got rid of an artifact in case they were playing something like um, Holy of Holies or something like that. That used to be a you know a really good card that was in a lot of decks to stop those kind of being or those uh, battle by the number guys. So that's what that one was. Then, like I said, I added a, th a fourth one for my guys, which was a kind of in between the first one and the second one. And it was just um, little bodies with battle winners, uh, no negates or anything like that. Um, and it had no interrupt battle winners, anything like that. It was literally just little dudes with 
captures discards, um, kill your guys to shuffle stuff, uh, just simple stuff like that. So if they had negates, they could still beat you. But um, if they didn't have negates, they weren't going to win a whole lot. So just kind of, so it's something I've used. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so that's more of an introduction to managing resources in the game. <clears throat> right, right. Have the negates or whatever, as opposed to just straight enhancements. Yeah. And, and so that's and so that's kind of all that to be said it, to explain all that. I've got it all written down somewhere on the boards. I probably need to update it, but um, it, it was just kind of a nice little introduction to the game. Again, the first deck was super easy to beat. Um, this is how you play Redemption. The second deck was little dudes with battle winners, so you learn how, when and how to use negates and why negates are important. Um, and then the next one was big dudes with negates. Well, we just figured out why negates were important. Now, can you beat a deck that's full of them? Um, and wait, basically what you need at that point are something like banding cannot be interrupted, cannot be negated stuff, um, things to get around all the negates because they didn't really have a way to deal with big bands or anything like that. So it teaches you that, um, the importance of banding, the importance of, like I said, CBI, CBN, uh, the importance of your artifact usage, things like that. Um, and then the last deck, again, was an introduction to kind of the more nuanced things in Redemption, the battle by the numbers, the protection, the um, the things like that. So these are guys that you're going to have to figure out a way to get around at some point if you're going to be a competitive player. So let's start doing that now before you start playing other people. So just kind of, a, I felt like that was a very, obviously Mark put a lot of thought process in that. And then, like I said, I added the one. So it just felt to me, I don't know, you guys might disagree, but <clears throat> to me, it always felt um, like the kind of the natural progression of, of how you learn how to play, how you learn how things are important. Um, and at the same time, all of them realistically have a very simple method or a very simple couple of things that you could put in your deck or do in your deck to, um, to beat these decks. Um, how, how many players, how many players would you say as far as like on here, I've got it listed as retention. So when you, when you started that and you had that first deck and you added the fourth, how many players did you have that would do the first one that would stick around and try to go through all the, how, how well did that gravitate, uh, have them gravitate toward the game and hold them. Honestly. Um, and what was, and so this is kind of what I, I was kind of going to get into a second. Um, what's really fun about this is with, especially little kids who are excited and um, you know, they kind of want to, all kids are kind of excited and want to rub it in somebody's face if they did something really good or something, you know? Um, and so we would literally label our players that way. And so it's like, Hey, you're, you're, you're a, you're a level zero player right now because you've not played your introduction. Like we're only, you're only playing the starter decks. Like you don't own any cards. Um, and then you go in and again, obviously you're going to beat this first deck really easily. And now they're a level one player. Um, and so using that lingo, using that thought process, using that information, um, I've probably had, I don't know, like a dozen players come through. You know, uh, since I kind of started all of this, it might have been more. Um, obviously, if I have any adults that play, I don't make them go through all these rigorous stuff if they don't want to, especially if they have other game background. But 
Um, but for the kids, especially who have never played any other games, um, I, I've done it. And I, like I said, I've probably had at least a dozen, if not more, who have done it. And just the excitement of beating the first deck, becoming a level one player, was enough to make them come back and at least attempt the next, you know, couple of decks. Every one of them did that. So, I guess does that does that help? Have you had any um, success with that, leading to them trying to get their friends involved or whatever? You you mentioned that. Obviously, if you win, you kind of want to rub it in your buddy's face. Hey, I'm a level one. I'm a level two. You're still a level, you know, zero or one. Has like has that led to like word of mouth kind of promoting? It it has. Um, in particular, I have one uh, one kid who um, was is always excited and always talks and always kind of that way. Um, but he, when he ever, when he beat the decks, he was going around, he was telling everybody that he plays this card game and he's a level two player. He's a level three player. Um, and it actually did get, um, a couple of my other kids, um, that now play involved. And so it it actually has helped a little bit, you know, just that thought process and peer, I guess, peer pressure a little bit of, you know, we play this game. It's a lot of fun. This is what I am, you know, so you got to catch up with me or something like that. It actually has generated a few players for me. Um, but at the same time, uh, when it comes to, um, you know, growth and things like that, that we're going to, we're kind of talking about here, it's, you have to find people that actually want to play card games, (laughs) you know, to be fair. And so, um, people who want to play card games and enjoy card games or something like that, when they hear that, they're going to be excited about it and, and kind of want to see what it's all about and see if it's as fun as they're making it out to be. Um, obviously, if they don't like games and they don't like card games in particular, then that's going to be kind of difficult to, you know, get some people in there. Um, you know, all of my youth um, that I teach now know that I play redemption. They know that I play it a lot and they know that I love it. They know that we have multiple kids that want to play and participate and basically play it every single week, but they just have no desire to play card games. So they don't, um, like they don't inquire of it, but the ones who are interested in games, uh, do want to inquire. So that would be my kind of one thing you need to, you know, keep in mind, when it comes to stuff like this, you know, not everybody's going to be interested in it. So try, don't, don't force your hand or don't force trying to make people who aren't interested, interested. Um, if you find out they're a gamer and they like playing games and they're just being weird and don't want to play, you know, at that point, maybe you have that conversation, but um, if they, if you, you know, if they don't play games, they might not, you know, it, it'd be harder to try to teach somebody a game that they are not interested in. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I guess that's understandable. Like having uh, modest expectations, not everybody's going to be a redemption player. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, uh, and I labeled that the crash fash model, which is your your name on boards and Discord. But really, you got the idea from Mark Underwood, so credit to him. And yeah. then you just kind of t- took that and ran with it. Um, let's roll over here and and say if someone wants to start a play group, but doesn't have, so you, you obviously had connection with students and that's who your target group was. And so you, you took them and you kind of incorporated redemption into that process of engaging with your students. 
What what do you think are some strategies for growing and what's the best path a best path to success for growing a playgroup from ground zero? So you have no playgroup. You're maybe one or two people playing the game and you want to branch out. Do you have any ideas or suggestions for people like that? So Right. So like you, so for instance, well, I know Brad's got connections with the church, but you have guys like you and, um, and Brad, you guys start playing and you want to introduce it to new people. Um, I mean the, the ease, obviously the easiest connection is going to be something like, you know, finding a church. Like if you're involved in a church or a community group or something like that, then obviously the best, I feel like the best way to, to go from that would be to bring the game to them, um, you, you know, find out who are those gamers, who are the people that um, enjoy kind of sitting down and playing a card game or playing a board game or something like that. And then, um, you know, just simply asking them, hey, I found this game, you know, I, I enjoy it. Would you like to sit down with me sometime and play it? Um, obviously at a church, it's really simple to say, Hey, we have this game that is, um, based on the Bible. It's going to help, um, not just students, but literally anybody who wants to seriously play this game or, um, casually, seriously, you know, just play this game. Um, it's going to help people remember, uh, the Bible and their stories and things like that. Um, honestly, it's funny. I've, I've talked to my youth group kids and things like that. And this is a huge selling point for, uh, me playing cards in, you know, I, I told you my dad was a Southern Baptist preacher. So, uh, bringing a card game into a Southern Baptist church was kind of interesting. And so the way I sold it was, Hey, look, all of these people and all of these stories and all of this stuff in this game is from the Bible. Every single card has a Bible verse on it. And to be honest with you, it's one of those things where uh, I'm, it's not a, it's not a cocky thing, but it's one of those, like, I'm willing to go, like I, I walked into a leadership group and I didn't say this, but I was almost tempted to, but it was like, I'm willing to go toe to toe with the people in this room for a Bible trivia. And and the fact is, you guys are older than me. You guys have read the Bible more than me, way more than me. Like, I'm not even going to, I won't lie. I won't sugarcoat it. Um, and you guys should know more about the Bible than I do. But I guarantee you, I know way more obscure, random things than you do. Because this game has introduced me to characters I've never heard of in my entire life. And introduced me to stories that we've never talked about in Sunday school or anything like that. And I remember them because I have a visual picture of the card and the person and, and what the story is. So it's, it's been an awesome retention tool for me personally. And so that's a huge thing that you can sell, uh, especially a church for it's, it's so good for retention because so many of us are visual learners and you literally have the characters and the stories in your hand um, to teach them. Um, so that's, that's the easiest way, you know, with a church. Um, and I've been fortunate enough and lucky enough to always be pretty involved with the church that that's kind of all I've ever dealt with. Um, that being said, I have introduced it to other people outside the church who've been, um, interested in it. They've kind of reached out to me and I've just kind of gone and, and met them. 
Um, and so that's probably what it needs to be is if you have a group of people or a community that you're involved with, find out who enjoys games and introduce it to them. If, if you don't have anything like that, um, I know it seems kind of, uh, scary or, or difficult to do. Um, but just reaching out to people around your community might go further than you think. Um, I mean, obviously we have a huge example with, with Roy reaching out to, um, the Royal Rangers. And, um, I think one of the, we've kind of already alluded to it, but one of the biggest things about starting a play group or growing a play group or retaining a play group is just try not to get too discouraged too easily. Um, expect a little bit of frustration and, and maybe just nobody being interested ever. It seems like, um, cause I, I don't know the exact story, but I know Roy worked on those Royal Rangers for years. I mean, multiple years, uh, people not responding, but because of his persistence, um, he's obviously got a huge group now in Texas that, um, is growing. He's got a group in Oklahoma now that he's involved with. So, um, he's kind of that, um, that good example of persistence and just kind of, you know, stick to itiveness. Um, and so just find some, I don't know, find some people that you're involved with. And if you're not involved with anybody, maybe you reach out to some churches that are around you. Maybe you go to the local, um, card store or game store or whatever, and uh, maybe you find some games that you like. I, I, if you if you already play games, then maybe you introduce them to Redemption while you play the other games, something like that. Um, like I said, I, I've not had to do a whole lot of that. I've been fortunate, um, but just you know where you can, when you can, reach out to to other people, other churches, and that's something that we've uh, talked about a lot. Uh, creating like a generic email or something kind of introducing redemption to explaining what it is and then sending it to your local churches. Because again, it's a great church tool, even for retention and, and learning um, more so than almost even more so than it being a game sometimes. Um, and so if we can get one of those created and, and all these resources that are coming out are going to make that even easier with a QR code and this new Reddit that has everything listed and, and all of this stuff. So it's going to get easier to just simply say, hey, this is what it is. Um, if you are interested or have questions, you know, please reach out to me. And, and maybe that's the way we need to go. I don't know. Yeah. And you mentioned going to your local card store. I know that the thought of that, um, we had one here recently, but COVID kind of took that under and they oh, ended sure. up shutting down. Um, so we don't necessarily have a local card store. The closest one that I've found is you know, about an hour down the road. But if you have one in your area, I know it, it almost sounds a little intimidating to go in there with this card game. And your leadoff point is, okay, this is a game about the Bible. The Bible, whether you, whether you believe the Bible to be accurate and, you know, the divine word of God, an atheist can look at it and it's still, it's still good source material for a game like this. And it doesn't, I know that you're, you're talking from the perspective of, being involved in church and that that's the path that you went. But even don't, don't just assume that someone has to be a believer to play the game, because if you do that, you're cutting out the chance for other people to get involved in it, to be an outreach tool. 
I've introduced it to the guys that that work for me, and they see me that like my office is not not nearly as as um redemption fied as your office is <laughs> but yeah they you know they they see cards laying around they they see me get cards in the mail and whatnot and they've asked questions and things but it hasn't taken hold with them and again that's where you have realist realistic expectations they're more video gamers mm-hmm. they don't they don't play card games um if you only reach out to to churches so if you if you are in an area that has a vibrant card store if you go in there and you you just you know, leave leave a, a little information with once we get the QR code or something, you leave one of those on the on the desk or whatever so people can look into it or something like that. I feel like if our card store was still open, I would definitely go and share the game with them. But I wouldn't have expectations that you're going to go in there and immediately you're going to have ten players jump up and want to play the game. Mm-hmm. But once you get into it, the strategy involved with redemption and the di- diversity within the strategy. So you can have several different deck strategies in redemption that other games don't necessarily have. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh, like there was always just this one top deck and everybody would try to build that deck. And so it ended up just being in tournaments. It's a bunch of mirror matches of the top deck. Not that that hasn't happened in redemption, but there's a lot of diversity. And I really, really do think that in addition to doing the church path, don't just block yourself into that. If you have a local card store, I would suggest reaching out to them because I definitely would have if it didn't shut down shortly after we got involved in the game because of COVID. So I would I would venture to say that doing both of those and you really only need to find one other person if you're a player and then like me and Brad feed off of each other. Um, I don't think either one of us is going to leave the game because every time we kind of, if we go into a period of dormancy with the game, the other one's talking about it, keeping us excited about it, engaging. And I think that's the the best thing about all of the new resources that are coming out from the community is there's constant engagement with the player base so that even when you're not playing, it's like you, you mentioned earlier on Discord. And I was like, I feel that in my soul that you just don't have enough time to play the game, but you're still doing things with the game. You're interacting with it. And for the community that's not in leadership or whatnot, it used to be basically you play the game or there's really not much activity on Discord or I'm sorry, on the boards. Then you add the Discord and now there's vibrant conversation that's happening. And I I just think you only really need to find that one other person. And once you find that one other person, then you can feed off of each other and then start branching out ideas of ways to grow. Mm-hmm. So I would I would say my suggestion, not that I'm um we don't have a play group here locally. We kind of, you know, play with with Jeremy Chambers and Jay and their people. We kind of, you know, latched on with that when we came into the game. But I would say that having Brad and being able to bounce things off of him, play together, strategies, talking, is a tremendous benefit to me personally, and I would assume it's for him too. Yeah. So I would say that locating that that first player, that first person, like when you came into the game uh, initially – you said you had those three buddies that played mm-hmm. and it kept you guys involved in the game because you were playing and you always had somebody to bounce things off of. And I think, I think when people think play group, because I, I used to do it as well. When you say play group, Oh, well, we're talking about somebody having like 20 players. Play groups can be two or three players. Yeah. I've, players. I've never had 20. <laughs> and I would, I would say that I would consider you a successful play group host 
and you've never had 20. So realistic expectations are find different ways to branch out and try to promote and try to grow it, but work on finding that at least one connection that you can feed off of. And once you find that, then you can start moving on to card collection and things of possibly hosting tournaments and whatnot. So let me ask you, how many people would you suggest someone have before they host their first local tournament? So that's up to, that's just genuinely up to the individual. Um, So, and and this is kind of an idea kind of going, uh, let me go back just a minute to go forward. Um, When, when you're talking about, if you can find that one other person like you and Brad uh, have or whatnot, um, you know, that might be enough too. Like you don't have to, if you have a local card shop, Um, I don't feel like you necessarily have to go in there and tell them like, this is the new game. We want you to carry it, you know, all this stuff. Cause a lot of the owners of the card shop are going to look at you like you're stupid. Um, But like just a lot, you know, talking to them and saying, Hey, we've got this card game. We want to come in and play. Do you mind if we just sit at a table one day and just play a few games? And like, like you've talked about before and we've kind of alluded to, you know, just, just the way this game looks now and the way it plays and, and all these full art and, and um, borderless cards and stuff that we've got. Um, just, you know, maybe you don't play good decks, but maybe you just play fun decks and you just go sit at a table at one of these card shops, just two people. And and I would be surprised if somebody didn't come over and look, you know what I mean? Um, and, and if you're at a card shop and you're, you don't know how people are going to take the Bible or Christianity or anything like that, um, who says you have to say it's a card game on the Bible. Maybe you just say it's, it's a card game I play called Redemption. You know, this is what it is. This is kind of how you play. If you'd love to sit down and, you know, watch it with us, then so be it. It's not going to take them very long to figure out that every card has a verse on it. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not like you necessarily have to introduce them as that. Um, obviously, a church, you, you definitely want to. But as, as far as individuals, you don't necessarily have to. And then obviously, if they're interested then you schedule a time to come back and, you know, play games with them or something. And then at that point you have that conversation. But, um, but as far as having tournaments, man, it's, it's really just a matter of how (laughs) it's really a matter of like, how much money do you guys have and how involved do you want to be? So, and the reason I say that is because obviously every tournament costs money. Um, there's a fee to run a tournament and you would have to determine for, so like you and Brad are kind of the only two people in your area that play right now. So you two would have to determine if a two person tournament, um, was worth the price. And, and if it's worth the price and you two want to play and one of you, obviously one of you is going to get first and one of you is going to get second and you're going to get some promos and some packs out of it. If that's how you want to do it, then you know, that kind of is what it is. I know that's not a lot of fun for a lot of people. Um, but I mean, I, I have tournaments often where it's only five or six of us. Um, and I have to be careful how often I have them because, uh, like of the five or six of us that play, I only have one kid that has money and, and spends money. So, um, that's kind of another thing as far as play group building, um, that you could possibly do if you can afford it and you can have people involved and commit to tournaments, then maybe you can give them those promos for free. If not, you have those promos to give out later when they do get committed, you know, cause I, that's kind of what I do. It's 
hey, I'm having a tournament. This is how much it costs. If you want to give me the money, then obviously I'm going to give you all the, the promos that I get for this tournament. But if you don't, then I'm just going to hold on to them since I'm eating the cost anyways. And and I'll get them to you later when you're truly committed, you know, or something like that. So uh, tournaments is really just a matter of when you feel like you're ready to to do it. You know what I mean? It's um, when it comes to locals and even districts, they don't have to be fancy. They don't have to be, um, you know, well planned out or, or decorated or in a huge gigantic room, especially if there's only a few of you. Um, you know, I've hosted many uh, local tournaments in my own home. So, um, you know, as far as the small tournaments go, those, those don't have to be real fancy. So don't, don't, don't assume that they're going to, you know, you have to act like it's a nationals or something just to have a tournament for sure. Yeah. I guess my question is, would you suggest hosting tournaments or at least doing that so that there's a chance to, I feel like that's more easy to invite someone first time. Hey, even if they don't play, Hey, come look, this is, these are the promos you could get. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, Oh, well, it's only what $5 to sign up. And then if you have an extra deck for them to play, even if you're starting out. So me and Brad, if we were to host a tournament and invite any, any poor soul to come and join us, they're guaranteed at least get in third place, mm -hmm. which is going to then, okay, well now this is your ranking on RNRS. Here's your promo, any prize support that you get. And I feel like it's almost like building the boat before the flood comes. You got to, right. Like you got to have something that shows that you're committed enough that you have it there and then you can invite people to that. But I, I guess it makes it feel like you're doing something more um, dedicated towards growing a play group. Once it, you say it's a tournament and then there's prizes that you're winning and you're getting promos and things of that nature. And then if someone comes in, you know, for a small fee or maybe you eat that cost and here's you some free stuff and use that as engagement for inviting people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it would definitely work. I would say that would be one of those things where you just kind of have to read the room. Um, like if you, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things, like I said, if I had, um, obviously I have my, my four kids that, that play pretty much anytime I offer it. Um, and if I just kind of walked up to my youth group one Wednesday night and was like, by the way, this Saturday show or, you know, next Saturday. So you have time to plan. We're going to have a redemption tournament. Everybody that shows up gets a free promo, all this stuff. Um, I'm still only going to have probably those four show up. You know what I mean? Because my other people are just really not interested at all. Even if I offer them free food, like I might have one of the guys come because he likes free food. You know what I mean? Um so I, that's kind of more of a, a read the room. If you think that would, if you think you've got some people that are, um, I, I say that, but I do have two new people that have kind of recently started coming and joined and, um, and are interested. So that would work for them for sure, uh, for them to be there. But as far as like my kids that have been there and knows I've played this game for the last, you know, five or six years that I've been teaching them, it's probably not gonna kind of draw them in per se. So it's more of a, um, kind of read the room, read, read who you are, are dealing with. And if you think you have some that are on the fence that really kind of want to do it, but just don't really want to commit, then absolutely do that. Um, 
get them get them that promo in their hand or or whatnot like you said get them a deck in their hand and, and get them that experience and more than likely they'll have some fun and then be uh committed for the long haul but if they're you know if you've got a group of people that are like no i don't i don't play games things like your you know your coworkers or whatever um then i don't know how much that's going to truly benefit you in the long run yeah um how often would you say someone comes to you and ask you for advice on play groups is it often um, well I, I will say that i like i said i had a i have a post on the boards it's really old now and i don't know how updated it is and when I was posting that and new people were coming on and asking, I always, they didn't necessarily come to me and ask uh, unless they found that post earlier or before I found them. Um, but I've always tried to be one of those to try to help and give suggestions where I could. Uh, so if somebody asks playgroup questions, then I'm going to answer them. And then, you know, at the end of the conversation, I send them a, a, a message on the boards or a DM on Discord and just like, hey, seriously, literally, Anytime you have a question or want a suggestion, I, I you know want to pick my brain. Um, please do, and and I've actually had the the privilege of of having multiple phone calls with some people, uh, just kind of talking out some stuff, answering questions, trying to get a feel for what they're trying to do, and maybe say, hey, tweak this or no, that sounds really good. That's exactly what I did, or here's what I did. You know, um, so I, I try to find people more than they reach out to me. But if that answers that question. Yeah, I was just going to ask, because um, I assume that from interactions that I've seen on the boards, it's kind of like you reaching out and, and kind of offering some advice. Um, how how much do you hear the upfront cost being a hurdle? Because I feel like when people talk about play groups, it's like it's hard to get someone interested. And you, I know you've talked about the fact that you have students that don't have money but you also still have students that are in a church setting. But if you're someone that doesn't have, that's not in church leadership, doesn't have that, um, I guess, target audience that comes to them weekly or what, whatnot, how, how often do you think money comes up? Because I feel like it's one of the things that I hear people there. I think they're worried about it more than they should be, but I think, I think it's one of the, the biggest hurdles for people to really jump you know, head first into, Hey, I'm going to start it. I'm going to make efforts and plans towards growing a local play, play group. Um, well, how often does it come up? Uh, the answer to that is pretty much always. Uh, um, that's kind of what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, I don't know the best verbiage for that. How relevant is it? Um, is not the best way to say it because relevancy is yes, it's very relevant because cards cost money, acquiring cards cost money, giving cards cost money. So it's very relevant. So it's, it's not like it's a silly or, or, you know, question to be asked because it's, it is definitely an aspect of it. Um, that being said, I don't think money is the biggest hurdle, at least for redemption. Um, I honestly think um, engagement and retention and, and then after you retain growth is really a bigger issue than it is um, money. And really a lot of the retention and the growth and the excitement of the game is not so much um the money aspect of it, obviously having brand new cards, you know, if you're a play group and you, you want to get GOC in the hands of the, 
of your playgroup members the you know the week or two it comes out, um, then that's going to generate a ton of excitement. So that that is relevant, but um, excitement comes from more than just new and shiny toys. You know what I mean? Um, I, I would venture to say that, uh, especially us guys, we all have a hobby or we all have a game or we all have something that we um, we do or, or we have vehicles maybe even. And we get excitement from those things, even if they're not the the fancy, shiny cars. They're the, you know, the, the dirty old trucks that we go four-wheeling in or something. You know what I mean? Um, that that's what brings more excitement than the shiny new, the shiny new sports car or something. So, um, it's, so you've got to fit. So excitement's a good way to, I think that's kind of more important than, than money or, and and retention is, is way more important than, um, how much it's going to cost. Um, so here's what, if you're worried about cost, here's what I would say. Don't worry about trying to, I think, well, let me, let me go back one second. I think people who worry about money more than anything and worry about um, how much is this going to cost? How, how easily am I going to be able to get these rotation cards in people's hands? uh, Things like that. I think what they're thinking is they're thinking I am creating the next competitive national player and they're not thinking about creating a playgroup. Does that make sense? So they're, they're feeling the burden of, I've got to get all of these staple cards in this player's hands. I've got to get them building a deck that they could go and play against top level competition versus hey, we can, you know, once a week get together and play. Exactly. Um, And so it, especially for those people who are going to be, um, that are trying to build a play group either through a, a church youth group or um, a Royal Ranger group or just a group, just, just kids basically, or people who have little to no money. Um, or, you know, th- there's plenty of adults out there that are kind of, you know, they live paycheck to paycheck or they just, they don't have a lot of discretionary money, um, but they enjoy card games and they enjoy things like this. Um so what you need to do is you need to build your playgroup based on what you have, you know, the people that you have. Like I said, when I had um, a playgroup with a bunch of, of adult men who all had jobs and no wives, you know, most of us were still living at home. So it's not like we had rent and things like that. Um, we, the excitement and the retention was, we're opening new packs. We're opening new cards. We're spending a lot of money. Um, and so money was a big deal then. And and it was fun and it was exciting. But yet, um, when it was time for us to stop spending money, we still played the game because now we had the collection. Um, and and it's kind of the opposite for the, the young kids who have no money and they can't afford cards. So just the fact that you're willing to use your collection and share your cards with them. Um, or maybe you could get lucky and find somebody, um, who has way too many cards and they're trying to get rid of them and they need to sell them or something. Um, or find somebody who's got a bunch of IJ starter decks, who's willing to sell them for a a discounted price just to get them off their hands. Both of those things are me. Um, 
they um that's a, that's a uh a <laughs> plug for your trade thread right yeah um you know you can you can acquire a bunch of cards for cheap and then maybe you can like give them a deck at that point and so the excitement at that point is okay well you're cool because you're giving me cards or you're allowing me to use cards that aren't mine um and then we're doing these level and again if the most of the people who don't have money tend to be younger and like build these level decks or something or something similar to them. I've got I've got level decks. I've got introduction decks. I started to do identifier decks, but then Derek made contender decks, so I just use his instead. Um, and so just just figure out what's fun for the kids or the or the you know the the adults that don't have a lot of money. Just find out what's fun for them, and then just work together to to kind of just do that. Like. Um, you know, I know uh, him mentioned in one of his videos that he got the, um, the the battle box, like the battle box from Rob or whatever, and it had all the classic cards in it. Well, here's the thing: if you're starting a play group with a bunch of kids who have no money, and that's the cheapest option you've got, they're not going to know the difference between rotation and classic. They're only going to know if you tell them. And so, if if they if they play and they love the game and they're excited to play the game and you are playing and and you're engaging them because so you're playing when they want to play they're you know if you're doing the level decks and they crush the level decks then go straight into competitive decks with them you know do what you need to do as a playgroup leader to keep the excitement and the retention there then then you worry about the money um because if you've got the excitement and you've got the retention and you've got people who want to play this game and get better in this game and expand in the game. And then that's when you have the money conversation and say, hey, look, we need to start going to state, regional, national tournaments. So we need rotation cards. So now what we need to do is we need to start, you know, saving up money or something like that to acquire those cards at that point. And then money becomes a big deal, but you've already got them retained and you've already got them as part of a, you know, a, a solid part of your play group by the time money really is a, um, a true factor in, in keeping people. I think also that the game itself has set up to kind of lessen some of that financial hurdle at the onset. So an onboarding of a player that wants to play competitively, I think has actually lessened with two things that have come out in the last set and continuing in GOC when it comes out is Meek Souls being playable to where you don't have to have $140 worth of staple cards for Lost Souls that tournament to tournament you might need to switch up and then the costs just keep adding up. You can actually play and be at least competitive with Meek Souls with all the support that they're getting. Mm -hmm. And I think also, and this kind of leads into what products and sets to invest into, is the advent of lineage of Christ only and GOC only um, gospel of Christ only categories. Obviously GOC only isn't going to come out until phase two is available and we have all of the cards, but being able to play where only cards from those sets, even though there's a little bit of an upfront cost to invest in that because it's the latest set lineage of Christ currently. When you do that, you're going to be on the same level playing field. So if John early, who is, what most people would consider probably one of the, if not the top type one, two player, player in redemption. If he was to sit down and play LOC only, a new player playing LOC only, they have a 
level playing field, there's only the cards in the set that are used. So it kind of lessens or lowers the curve mm-hmm. for the competitive aspect of it. But also when you invest in that and knowing that there's a category just for that, it kind of makes the payoff of the financial investment more. Sure. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and when you said that, it kind of, it, <laughs> it brought up something else in my mind and, um, and it's an interesting conversation and there's a, I think there's kind of a fine line and, but, and it took me a little while to convince cause I listened to some people and I agreed with them. And then I had people like, no, that's not right here. And here's why. Um, here's the interesting thing too, that's making it a little bit easier. Um, obviously we still have all these packs, uh, for the rotation cards that still have a lot of the classic cards. Um, and I, and I know that's kind of frustrating and things like that. Um, but if you're wanting to make a play group and you're wanting to get them rotation cards and things like that, maybe packs aren't the best way, right? Me being who I am, if you're, if a long-term player, you know, you've been here now a couple of years and and you're getting into the competitive scene. So boxes are really good for us because it's getting us the ultra rares and things like that. Um, The nice thing about redemption now compared to even when it was classic um, some people call this power creep and it's really not, um, because let's think about it. What, what cards ha- have we used in the last several years that have created the broken combos? They've all been classic cards for the most part, right? Um, yeah, mixed with, mixed, mixed with, with the new that, stuff. The thing it called in play testing and things like that. Yeah. Right. Well, or, or we're looking at it from, um, the like the current card pool, like I guess maybe sometimes we were looking at it from like a rotation standpoint, even though we weren't in rotation yet, as well. Um, but like there are still so many broken cards in in classic. You know, when you want to talk about power creep, you think about the broken cards, and you think about the TXP Nebuchadnezzar's, and you think about the Samuel's Edicts, and you think about um, Uzas and and things like that, and they're all classic cards. And, but a lot of people are saying the the new sets have the power creep. So it's arguably the power creep is with the old stuff. The, the reason people think there's power creep in the new stuff is because if you look at the sets as a whole, the sets are significantly better as a whole than they used to be. The cards individually might not be, but the sets as a whole are. And so in reality, if you're looking at a... a you know, a play group or a, a young group of people or um, getting somebody started with the competitive scene, but without a ton of money, then look at common sets or something like that. The commons that are coming out in these new sets are better than the rares and the ultra rares and the things like that from classic. And that and that's why they think it's power creep when in reality, again, it's, it's not. It's just an overall... Um, like the sets are just better. The individual cards have more value than, you know, some of the meek stuff or the, st- like if you think about the apostle set, like, or your favorite set, angel wars, I mean, how many cards from angel wars have you ever played? Like four. Uh, I am love. I am creator. <laughs> you know, a lot of people played revealer, Michael. Um, there's probably a few more that I'm leaving out, but there's not very many, you know what I mean? Um, where I know that I know that, while we're here, no one played what was Eli and Kira. Uh, <laughs> right. No one played those cards. Right. Except for me and Booster Draft. Exactly. Yeah, you played them in Booster Draft, and that was about it. Um, 
but like every single card from especially these last few sets have had value somewhere. Um, and so really just it, it to kind of keep the money down and, and, and even tournaments for, um, your play group and things like that. We've kind of talked about that kind of mashing them all together. Just get a bunch of commons. It's, it's fairly cost effective. You still get a competitive deck with that. Um, if you're worried about people not having the money or the entry level stuff, um, I'll tell you what I have done before and we've done it at local closed tournaments. So nobody else can show up and be surprised when I try to do some house rules or something like that. Um, like, we have within the the guys that I have, the kids that I have that play, um, we've got me and then the, the, the kid that I bring with me to all the tournaments, Sean, who have some money and we have a bunch of cards and things like that. Um, obviously, if we create decks based on the cards that we've got, then our other kids don't have a chance. So what we do is we literally limit our deck building down to kind of what these other kids have and give them an opportunity to win. And a lot of times they actually do win uh, when we're dumbing our, our decks down and stuff like that. And that let, that gives them that competitive feel that gives them even the retention a little bit because they're not getting the snot beat out of them every time they play too. Um, like, so I guess when it comes to, you know, play group and, and money and all of this stuff, don't overthink it. And that's what a lot of people do. Uh, a lot of people assume that you have to get them in the competitive market field, whatever, literally immediately. And that's just, you're going to have some people that do want to do that, but most of the people that you bring in are not going to be that. I, I feel like you're, you're directing this towards me because when I came in, like I played that IJ starter deck. I never even played the GH starter deck that I bought alongside it. It was like, IJ, this is this is too simple. Mm-hmm. Looked into Redemption, saw the more complex. And while you're talking about common set, I know I've mentioned it a bunch on the podcast, but my first big purchase was buying, I, again, Ken was selling them for $25 at the time, which is a ridiculously low price. Yep. And I got one of every common from Prophecy of Christ, which was the latest set at the time, for $25 as a new player. And my world was like, I got really giddy looking at the abilities. And it was like the first thing that I tried to build because of most of the minor profits in there were commons. So you right. had most of them with that yep. was I built like a minor profit deck and Brad, Brad played, uh, he had taken, I think the starter decks and kind of blended some GH IJ all together to make a deck. And we had a couple of fun games with that, but then it was like the new cards. So my curve was starter decks jumping off directly into the competitive scene because that's what interested me. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is don't put the burden of thinking that you have to get every player to come in and be competitive like that. Temper your expectations and start with getting them excited about the game before you worry about, are they going to invest long-term? So I guess what I would say too is um, all of your effort is a is a potential new playgroup leader needs to go towards the effort of talking to people and being ready to play games um as far as the expectations as what you expect for the individuals that's not your job 
that is literally the responsibility of the individual. Um, I have one kid who, um, yeah, I have three sets of brothers or a, a, a set of three brothers, I guess I should say. And, and, you know, one of them is always excited to play. He literally wants to play every single week. Um, another one is one of the ones that gets excited about being this level and being this and stuff. Um, but he's kind of almost too hyper to, to sit down and play a game a lot of times. So he doesn't play often. Um, but then every time he talks, the, the oldest brother's the one that's like, well, you know what? I hadn't even played in a year and I'm still better than you, you know? And so, but all three of them are content with where they are in the game. And, um, they, they're, they're fine with where they are. When I have tournaments, they still show up, they still play, they still, you know, do what they've always done. But like I said, one of them wants to play every week and one of them hasn't played in over a year. Uh, but they still, you know, are, are, I would consider heavily involved in the play group. And like I said, show up at the tournaments and that's kind of what, in, in my opinion, kind of matters. And so, get the guys in there, get them interested, get them excited, and then let them tell you the speed. Let them tell you the uh, the level that they wanted, want to do. I mean, Sean is kind of like you. He's He has experience in other games and other card games, and he came in, he mastered the IJ starter decks literally in one game, if not, you know, less than that. And he was ready to jump in and, and be competitive, and so we – have very slowly over the several years that he's played been able to acquire him cards, you know, for cheap. And, and so he set the expectation that he wanted and he wanted to be competitive. And now, I mean, three or four years into it um, with a lot of help, he's got almost every card in the game. And like I said, and then I've got other kids who haven't played in a year, but yet they're totally fine and content and want to play when we're ready to play competitively. So and he just made top cut in the last nationals. Yes, as he well. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> a teenager. So, yeah. So basically, you've had quite a few come come through, but never never twenty. And out of out of those, you've got one ultra competitive, like wants to go to the highest level tournaments and do well. One player. So the expectations, and, and you specified that you really think that most people, when they think about the play group, kind of wants to force everyone to this ultra competitive path. Um, but realistic expectations is you've got one out of what a dozen or so. Yeah. Players. And, but at the same time, I mean, it, it's, it, it is different based on, on who you've got. I mean, when I had the adults, um, all those guys came to nationals with me multiple, uh, they were there in 12 and most of them were there in 15. Um, and they were pretty good competitive players, but again, they had money and they had the drive um, to do that. Um, unless you just get a, a lot of kids in my experience um, are fickle, man. They, they um, like I said, these, they, they love the game, but at times if, if they would rather um, like, for instance, when I was telling you about the brothers, the older brother would rather, um, play Foursquare or something, then he would sit down on a, you know, and play Redemption after our Wednesday night service. And it, and I don't shame him for that. I don't shun him for that, but that's just what happens. And, and like I said, but when it comes to a tournament, he shows up and plays. So yeah, just, I mean, there will be people who come in and want to be the next national champion. And there's going to be people who come in who love the game, but they only want to play a game a month or every couple of months. Um, and so 
just, like I said, my biggest advice would just be let them dictate what they want to do. And if they're happy and content and they're showing up when, you know, like for tournaments or when you want them to show up, then there's, that is what it is. And that's, that's a play group in my opinion. So, so main takeaway is that play group success doesn't happen overnight, obviously. No. Um, it took you a while to build up to that. And then knowing your, your group, reading the room, as you say, and letting them dictate, dictate the pace. And also finding out, you, you mentioned at the top of this conversation, some of the things that you tried that didn't work out, learning from what doesn't work. Those are, those are probably the main points that I've taken from this. Would you agree that those are the main things to focus on? Absolutely. Um, I, I will go back and say that um, one other thing as far as um, retention goes, when, when you are trying to retain, re- retain people, um, the two, and I, I think I've mentioned this, at least the first one, uh, the biggest thing for retention is obviously excitement, you know, letting them dictate their pace and always being, you know, the biggest thing is just being willing to do what they want to, when they want to, as far as, you know, within certain parameters, obviously, if they call you at midnight and want to play a game and you got to be at work the next morning, then they're crazy, but you better fire up lackey. Yeah. Right. But, um, you know, but there's, there's certain obviously don't go crazy like that. But like, if they want to play a game and you know, they want to play a game, then you best play a game. Cause if not, then you're going to lose their excitement. Um, but as far as retention, especially with adults and things go, and I, and, and I, I'm going to say this and also it's not, con- I promise it's not contradicting my earlier statement, but another good way to retain people is to make them spend money. Um, and again, I'm not talking about, you guys worrying about money again, we're not talking about the, like you said, what paying 140 something dollars or something for, you know, lost souls, but making, I've, I've been in the fortunate position where I've been in this game a really long time. I have a whole lot of cards. I can, I can give cards away for basically free um, just because I've been doing this for so long and my collection is so big um, but not everybody can do that. So if you can make them just buy something simple like the IJ starter deck, that too makes them a little more committed. Um, even if it's something simple as, hey, I don't have a lot of stuff. I bought one of these um, battle boxes or whatever from from Rob or from Ken or from Derek. Um, you know, and you make them a, a 50 card deck that's legal and then you make them purchase that from you for $5 or $10 or something, you know, just that initial purchase too, even if it's very minor, kind of does help retain them just in the sense that they've invested, you know what I mean? So they're investing their energy and their excitement in it, and now they've invested their resources in it. So that's going to that's gonna help keep them as well, potentially. I think there's definitely been some solid, solid content and things to think about, things that necessarily aren't the first thing that you think about when it comes to play group because you kind of called me out multiple times because when I, I think of it, I'm like, okay, who am I going to bring that then I'm going to be able to talk into going to tournaments and things of that nature and already putting my expectations of what they will be as a player, you know, into my expectations. So then I'm setting myself up to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And obviously I think that's the big theme of the conversation here is not to set yourself up with unreal expectations to temper those expectations and then know that it's going to be a grind, especially early on. Yeah. And you're not going to see immediate success. 
And a play group doesn't mean a, a successful play group doesn't mean that you have 20, 30 players. No, it could be that you have, you know, two or three that come and are consistent and want to play the game in some capacity. And then that's the thing, some capacity, let them dictate the capacity. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's a good spot to wrap it up. So we'll go ahead and end the episode there. And also, I guess one one other thing before we end it is take advantage of the new player resources that the community has created. New player guide, the Reddit that you can, you know, direct a new player to that allows them to have a jumping off point that has all the resources kind of together. Um, you could give them that QR code when that comes out and starts being available and make sure that you're capitalizing on the current, um, I guess, involvement of the community being engaging so that it can add to that excitement for a new player coming in. Absolutely. Now, and there's a lot of good stuff out there now. I mean, <laughs> it's been a it's been a void, you know, for a while just because people haven't uh, either had the time or been committed. And it's been awesome that these guys have stepped up. It's going to it's going to make the the new player experience a lot easier. It's going to draw people in. And then if you when you do get those people who um Again, maybe they don't have a lot of money, but they want to learn the game very quickly and they want to be competitive. Um, all of these new resources are certainly going to help that, uh, help jumpstart that. And really, it eases your, the nice thing now too, is all of this stuff eases the playgroup leader's burden. Um, because honestly, if, if I, like I said, I've got two new people who are interested uh, I am literally going to hand them a starter deck and I'm going to print this thing that Renee printed and be like, this is how you play. Like I'm going to let the, the, the paper explain the game and just answer clarifying questions. You know what I mean? I, I'm not the one explaining everything or dictating everything. Um, and then as they get more interest than you, then you send them to, you know, the Reddit or the discord or something like that and, and let them just eat it up. Um, so it's really made a playgroup leader's life a lot easier. So yeah, that, I'm ex- I, I like, I love all this stuff, man. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and leave it there. Thanks for joining and talk to you next week. All right. That's a wrap. Another episode in the books. Thank you all for sticking around and listening to this. If you have, as always, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this. And hopefully you were able to pick up some tips and uh, ideas for how to grow and expand your play group or start one from scratch if you're in that situation. As I mentioned before, round two pairings of the Grand Prix Lackey Tournament are available. So make sure you get your games in this week. And we'll look forward to seeing you on next week's episode. Peace.